Well, we are in Hebrews chapter 8, an incredible portion of Scripture. I've been excited about sharing this because I think it's going to clear up a lot of things for a lot of people that maybe you've never been able to answer certain questions when people have asked you certain things. And so I think today's going to um, bring some clarity to some stuff I think will be very beneficial to us. Um, but being that we had a Christmas Eve service last Sunday, and it's been two Sundays since we were in the book of Hebrews, let's back it up to uh, Hebrews chapter 7, go to verse uh, 22, and then we'll read on through. Just to kind of get a run at it, because it, as you know, there was no chapter breaks in the original Bible. They're there for us to be easier for us to find passages and to find verses. So Hebrews uh, 7, we'll start at 22 and get a run at it. Ready? Are you guys there? Amen? Okay. By so much was Jesus made a surety, in other words, a guarantee of a better testament. And they truly were, there truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth forever, speaking of Jesus, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost. Can you say amen? that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, that means innocent, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as though those high priests to offer sacrifice first for his own sin and then for the people's, for this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmities, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the Son who is consecrated forevermore. Now, of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum, this is the main point. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it was of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if, we, if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that they are priests that offer gifts according to the law who serveth under the example of the shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that you make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Woo! Great portion of Scripture, Lord God. Thank you for just bringing that clarification. We just ask that you would, uh, right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, minister to our hearts. Lord, help us to grow. Lord, our whole goal is to reach this entire North Shore for your glory. Lord, if that's your will for us, Lord God, give us the strength to do so. But Lord, you tell us the best way for us to be equipped is to know 
the Word of God and move in the power of the Holy Spirit and not our flesh. And so, Lord, fill us afresh right now to receive the Word of God and to grow. Bless this time. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I entitled this message, uh, A Superior Covenant. A Superior Covenant. There's the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And the New Covenant is superior. And we've been talking about that and addressing this all throughout the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is one of the best books to go to to deal with cults. It just lays out who Jesus is. It just sets them straight. There's a lot of people out there who say they're Christians, but Jesus isn't God. You know what I would say to them? You ain't born again. You are not a child of God. You will not be going to heaven. There is one way. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through Jesus. To reject Jesus as God is to reject eternal life in heaven. Jesus is superior to angels. We looked at that. There's a lot of cults out there saying Jesus is none other than a created being, a created angel. Well, I say to you, you're wrong. It tells us that the, in the Bible that all the angels worship Jesus. Jesus is superior to the angels. We see that Jesus is superior to all of the prophets. Moses, Joseph, uh, Elijah, Jeremiah, Joshua, all of those men of God that God used. Jesus is superior. We see that he's superior to the Levitical priesthood, the ironic priesthood, that that was a priesthood made up of men making sacrifices, uh, for sin, but only covered sin. Jesus is of a higher order, the order of Melchizedek. When, when they were talking about these Hebrews who were going back to the law, they had tasted the goodness of Jesus Christ and they experienced it, but then they were getting pulled back to legalism. And that's one of the biggest dangers I've seen of friends of mine who have moved to Israel and spent a number of months or a couple of years there. They come back and they're screwed up. They're no longer Christians. They're no longer Jews. They're kind of in the middle. They're holding on to everything. They've gone back to the law. And they're messed up. There's one way, and it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ put an end to the law. We are no longer under the law. We are under grace. Praise the Lord for that. And you know why I say that? Because nobody here can keep the law. Can any of you keep the law? If you raise your hand, you're a sinner. You broke it. You're on our team. So if you want to worship on Saturday and keep the Sabbath, praise the Lord. I'm going to worship every day. But you can't tell me that I have to worship on a certain day or I'm, I'm going to hell. You can't tell me I have to pronounce Jesus' name a certain way or I'm going to hell. You can't tell me i got to do this or do that to be saved. I just put my trust in Jesus Christ and that's it. It's saved by grace, period. You can't add anything to do it. You didn't earn it. You can't pay for it. Just bring your sorry self to Jesus. And say, save me. Forgive me of my sins. It's that simple. It's so simple, people complicate it. The world complicates it because nothing's free, right? So everything outside of Christianity is works-driven, works-driven. And you know what? You never have any insurance because you never know if you've measured up. Thank God Jesus took care of that for me. I, I, I only measure up because he said so. 
I, I'm, a, I'm a sad case. I'm a work in progress. I'm a sinner saved by grace. But because of His love for me and His dying on the cross and rising on the third day, I have salvation by putting my trust in Him. That's the message we've got to bring to the North Shore starting in this new year. I know you guys have been bringing it, but this has got to be the year that we take this place for Jesus. He is superior to the Levitical priesthood. He is superior to all creation. Jesus Christ is God. He is Lord and Savior. He is the creator of all things. And if you don't believe that, you're not his. And I'm not trying to upset you. Maybe you're here. Someone dragged you here. I'm trying to help you. Choose Jesus and live forever. Jesus loves you so much. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him, in him alone, has eternal life. He's the way. We see that our Lord is the great high priest because these Hebrew Christians were being confronted with, well, where's your high priest? We see our high priest. He's in the temple. Look, at he's, he's here interceding for us. He's, he's here offering sacrifices for us. We, we see our high priest. We see our temple. But where, where's your high priest? And they say, well, our high priest is Jesus Christ. And they go, what? He's not even from the tribe of Levi. So the writer of Hebrews, which I believe is Paul, has such a command over the Old Testament, he takes him back to Genesis 14 to Melchizedek. He takes him back to David recorded in Psalm 110. Melchizedek. Melchizedek of a higher order. A higher order of priesthood. Greater than the Levitical line. It's a priesthood forever. The Levitical line is temporary. Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek, a priest order forever. And it's superior. And, then, and so then they would say, well, like, okay, well, um, wh what, about, what, what about the temple? What do we do with that? And he's going to show us today that there is a temple that is greater than the one the Jews have ever seen. And it's one that's heavenly. And then they're going to get introduced to what the new covenant really means to you and me. Because these are a lot of questions people might ask. Well, Jesus is the high priest. What does that mean? There's a greater temple in heaven. What's that mean? What's the new covenant mean versus the old covenant? I don't fully understand. And today I hope that you will have a greater understanding of what that all means. We need to understand that our Lord is superior to angels, to prophets, to the Aaronic Levitical priesthood, to all creation. And we just need to look at his credentials as a high priest, to show how much greater he really is. And if you just go to uh, uh, chapter 7 to verse 26, gives Jesus' credentials. For such a high priest, speaking of Jesus, was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, means innocent, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices for his own sins. That's what makes him better. And then for the peoples, for he did once and for all, he offered up himself. For the law appoints a high priest, men who have weaknesses. Why? Because they're sinners. But the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son, Jesus Christ, who has been perfected forever. He completed the work. 
Why would you want to go back to something that was incomplete? Why would you want to go back to something lesser? Why would you want to go back under the law? That's the case that he's pleading here. Jesus Christ is not an earthly priest like they were, but he is a heavenly high priest without blemish. Without blemish. Hello. Listen, did the high priest have blemish? I'll give you another shot at that. Did the high priest have blemishes? Yeah, how about you? You got a blemish? I mean, let me give you a list. I mean, look at the first high priest. You thought Aaron would have had it all together. Did that guy have a blemish? Right out of the gate. Right out of the gate. Moses comes down from the mountain. Everybody's out of control. He's like, Aaron, what are you doing? He's like, ah, you know, they brought their gold. I threw it in the fire. This calf came out. Naturally, we all took our clothes off and danced around it. I mean, that's what you do, right? That was our first high priest. Jesus is without blemish. But I got to say, the Levitical priesthood tried their best. But if you're thinking of leaving our great high priest, Jesus Christ, to go back under the law, wow, you're making a big mistake. The writer now gives us a couple of reasons, though there are many, he gives us a couple now why we should not go back under the law, why we should not go back under the old covenant. Look at verse 1 of chapter 8. Now, this is the sum of it. This is the main point. If you haven't been with us for the past uh, seven chapters, you showed up on a good day because now we're going to sum it up what those seven chapters were all about. This is the main point of the things we're saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne, the majesty in heavens, minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also offer something. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, who serve the copy, the shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said... See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Wow. So one of the first things why Jesus is superior, a superior high priest, is that we see right there in verse 1, he's seated. He's seated. No high priest was ever seated. No, you, you go to the tabernacle where Moses was out in the wilderness. You go to the temple which Solomon built. You go into the holy place in the holy of holies and you will never see a seat or a bench in there. Why? Because the work's never done under the law. This, the high priest, the priest would minister in the holy place, in the holy of holies, uh, but their ministry was never done. It was always ongoing because when they sacrificed animals for the sins of the people, it only covered the sin. It didn't take away the sin. And each week they'd have to come with more sacrifices to cover the sins for that week. So the high priest's job was never done. He could not sit down. But Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, paid the final price once and for all. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And he rose from the dead and he seated at the right hand because he said on the cross, it is finished. Paid in full to tell us die. Why would you not want to accept that? 
Why would you not want to accept Jesus' grace saying, come, put your faith in me, believe in your heart, and you have eternal life? It's so easy. Jesus Christ is seated. No high priest was ever able to sit down. They couldn't do it. Their work was never done. There was no rest for the priest, and there was no rest for the people because those sacrifices only covered sin and didn't take it away. Jesus Christ is seated seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven because the work is finished. And because of that, we can rest in Him. And here's another reason why He's superior. The fact that He's seated at the right hand of the throne in the Bible speaks of a place of honor and a place of power. In Psalm 110, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. In Matthew 26, we see Jesus standing before the Sanhedrin. He's been arrested. All the religious leaders are there. They're just pelting him with accusations, false accusations in order to put him to death. Nothing was standing. Nobody could agree on anything. And the high priest got so upset because Jesus wouldn't answer anybody. They're like, do you realize you could, go to, you could be killed right now? He, he was silent like a sheep to the shearers, was dumb. He didn't open his mouth, and the high priest got so f- frustrated that he put Jesus Christ under an oath, and he said this in Matthew 26, verse 62. He says, I put you under an oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. When somebody tells me that Jesus Christ never said he was God, you obviously didn't read your Bible. Because what you missed, the religious leaders didn't miss, because that's the, real, that's the only reason they wanted Jesus dead, is because he said he was God. Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. There's so many scriptures I could give you, but you know them. You guys know the Word of God. He says something else there, too, is that in verse 2, he says that Jesus has made the greatest temple in heaven. That the temple that was down here on the earth was just a model, a copy of, a shadow of something that was even greater in heaven. It didn't even compare to what's in heaven. You guys, you guys have no clue what's in store for you. God is going to be revealing His grace throughout eternity. He's going to blow your mind. You're going to be there 10,000 years, and He's going to do something that blows your mind. You're going to, wow, I didn't see that coming. And you're not, when I hear people say, are, are we going to get bored in heaven? I'm like, are you kidding me? You take your best day here on earth, it'll be the worst day in heaven. Don't hang on to this place. This is not your home. You're a pilgrim passing through. Get your eyes on heaven. Get your eyes on the finish line. Get your eyes on eternity in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verses 3 through 5, we saw that Aaron and the high priest minister to an earthly ministry in an earthly tabernacle in an earthly temple which was inferior to the one in heaven. 
And then it said Jesus couldn't be a priest here on this earth in verse 4. You say, why is that? Because the priests that were the earthly ministers of the Levitical priesthood were men that were full of sin. Jesus is without sin. Plus, they had to offer sacrifices for their sins. Jesus didn't have to offer any sacrifice for his sin. Plus, their work was never done. Jesus is of the greater order priesthood, the order of Melchizedek. His work is done. It is finished. It is completed. He's sitting down, and those priests could never sit. Jesus Christ could not be a priest after the order of the Levitical priesthood under the law here on the earth because he was after a higher priesthood, the order of Melchizedek, which was superior to the Levitical priesthood. The old covenant was inferior to the new covenant. The new covenant was better. It was a better covenant and it had better promises in which Jesus Christ finished the work that the Levitical priests could not do. Not to mention, Moses' tabernacle, Solomon's tabernacle, were just mere copies. Models. I mean, if you were in the military and you were on leave, you were, you were on duty for three years overseas and you had a picture of your wife and every day you looked at that picture and said, I love you and I miss you and you hold it dear to your heart. When you get to the airport, when you're coming home and she's standing there waiting at the gate for you, you don't pull out that picture and go, man, I miss you, I love you. She's right there. Why would you want to copy when you can have the real deal? Jesus Christ never entered into the temple in Jerusalem. He went on the temple courts but he never went into the holy place or the holy of holies like the earthly priest did. Like the high priest could only go into the holy holies once a year. Jesus Christ finished the work on the cross. He tore the veil and entered into the heavenly temple that is not a copy. He went into the real deal and he presented his blood as the final payment for our sins and nothing on earth will ever replace that. Can I just tell you as a side note, God loves you. He's speaking to somebody here today. Somebody here today doesn't know Jesus. Somebody here today has been wrestling. Somebody here today has been duped. You need to understand that Jesus loves you so much he gave his life for you. That he died on the cross for your sins, rose again on the third day, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty on high. And he wants you to spend eternity with him. Look at verse 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. If you go back to Exodus 19, and you don't have to turn there, we'll just talk about it. In Exodus 19, we read a covenant that God made with Israel. It's a Mosaic covenant pertaining to the giving of the law, the setting up of the priesthood. It was predicated on people's faithfulness and obedience to the Lord. So God gave out seven covenants. Four of them were given to Israel. Out of the four, three were unconditional. Three were unconditional. In other words, it meant three of them were not based on the performance of the children of Israel. 
There was a covenant that pertained to the people of Israel, the nation of Israel, and David's throne that would go forever. But one of those covenants was conditional, and it was the Mosaic covenant was predicated upon the faithfulness and the obedience of the children of Israel. And so God gave it to Moses. Moses gave it to the people. The people said, we will do as God says. Moses went back and said, they said they'll do it. But they didn't. And the key verse, I mean, you can read it in Exodus 19, 4 on, but the key verse was in verse 5 of Exodus 19, where it says, if the people will do this, if they will do that, if. So it was, uh, it was a, a conditional covenant, which was do this and live. If you do this, you're going to have blessings. If you do this, you're going to have cursings. And they said, we'll do all that God said. And they didn't do it. They went after false gods right away. God had to set up a sacrificial system to cover their sins because they missed the mark. They broke the covenant. They failed to be faithful and they failed to be obedient. Now the new covenant is based on God's faithfulness. Not mine. It's based on the finished work of God and not mine. Praise the Lord. Can you say amen? amen. The covenant that he had with Israel was based on their faithfulness and obedience. The new covenant is based on his faithfulness and finished work. His promises. That makes it easy for me. That means I only got to stay close to him. That means he's already taken care of it. And he's going to get me to the finish line. The old covenant was do this, do that, do this, do this, do, do, do. The new covenant was done, done, done. Praise the Lord. The old covenant was basically this. Obey and live. The new covenant is live to obey. So the new covenant is superior to the old covenant because it's based on better promises and the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And if I believe in him, I have the promise of eternal life. Wow. And now that I believe in him, he is conforming me into his image. He is changing me from glory to glory by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is transforming me into the image of himself by the power of the Holy Spirit. I am saved by grace and not by works. And some people will say, you Christians, you know, that's a greasy grace. There's nothing greasy about it. He gave his blood for it. Don't try to cheapen it. Don't sit there and come at me and go, you Christians, you just think you have a license of sin. We don't think like that because we're true believers. If you're only coming to Jesus for fire insurance, and you think you can go live any way you want, you're not his. If your sin doesn't bother you, something's messed up with you. You're not his. But a true believer, I'll tell you what, I keep the Ten Commandments better than I ever have, and I got saved by grace. I ain't perfect. I'm still a work in progress. 
But I'm doing a lot better. Why? Because I'm yielding to the Holy Spirit who says when I'm about to do something stupid, he goes, what are you doing? I go, I don't know. Go the other way. Okay. Close your eyes. Yep. Put it back. Okay. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad that salvation is based on His faithfulness and His promises and not your performance? Whew! Listen. God's grace is not a license to sin. We live to obey. And you say obey what? His commands. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Right? We don't do it because we have to. We do it because we love them. If your spouse says to you, if you do that to me, it's going to hurt me, you're not going to do it because why? You love your spouse. That's what it is. God says, listen, don't do that. It's going to hurt me. Okay, I love you. I won't. And when you love somebody, you enjoy doing things for them. And thank God we're not under the law because I can't keep it. Have you read the law lately? Man, I'll tell you what, I'm doing better. But I'll tell you, you might want to take a glance at Exodus 20 like every once in a while just to see where you're at. Because, you know, I, most Christians, we like, we like to be like the Apostle Paul. Yeah, I got the nine covered. It was that tenth one that slew me. You know, coveting when you want someone else's wife or someone else's husband or you want someone else's servant or some single person you want their stuff you want their house you covet their career you're lusting after their new truck their guitar whatever we all have that we battle inside right we're like man why does he have that i want that and that's sin So we think like, oh, you know, we're doing really good on all the other ones. Would you stop and think about the other ones? Really examine yourself? Thou shall not have any other gods before me. And we can all say, Amen. Jesus is the Lord of my life. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you, is He? Because I'll tell you what, a career can get in the way and become your God. Power, money can get in the way and become your God. A spouse can become your God before God. Your children can become your God before God. How do I know? Well, we're not going to come to church on Sunday. We got soccer. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying, you know what you're teaching your kids? Sports is more important than God. Make that game afterwards. If they don't have it afterwards, forget to tell the coach, we're going to church. As for me and my house, <laughs> you guys are good. <laughs> guys, I know it sounds a little crazy, and because of our culture today, you're like, Steve, you're being a little hard on us, but I'm not. Train up your child in the ways of the Lord. When he's older, he won't depart. But if you keep teaching him that sports is more important than Jesus, he's going to have a hard time. Anytime something else comes up, well, you know, we got it. It's money. It's a career. I know people here, especially here, have to work on Sundays. I get it. That's why we have a Wednesday night, but they don't come Wednesday night either. It's an excuse. He says, honor your father and your mother. 
How many Christian kids do I listen to curse their family out? Disgrace their parents when asked to do something. Forget it, you do it. That's the first commandment that came with a promise of long life. Do you know why? Because in the old days, you disrespected your parents. They dragged you out and stoned you and made a new one look just like you. Now, I'm not saying I condone that. But aren't you glad we're not under the law? Praise the Lord. Okay, let's keep going. Thou shalt not murder. You said, I don't murder. I've never murdered anybody. Have you ever hated someone? God said you did it in your heart. I don't steal. Really? Thou shalt not steal. Are you stealing from God? Do you steal from Him every week? He tells us to give. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Haven't done it. You ever lusted after your friend's wife? Or lusted after your, your friend's husband? Or lusted after somebody single? You did it in your heart. We shouldn't lie either, right? But isn't it so easy? Doesn't it just come out? I mean, do, do you find that just like coming out without even hesitation sometimes? Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. That's not just saying Jesus Christ in a bad way or God to damn this or damn that. That's misrepresenting them to get something you want. You say, thus saith the Lord. The Lord told me this. That's blasphemy. The Lord didn't tell you nothing. You're using that to get your way. That's blasphemy. Let's just move on. We don't need to talk about this anymore. I guess my point that I was trying to make was, I had a point. The point I was trying to make is under the law, under the old covenant, it was thou shall not, thou shall, thou shall not, thou shall, thou shall not. Under the new covenant, God says, I will do this, and I will do that, and I will do this in your life. Under the new covenant, the Lord says, I will put my laws in their mind. I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God. Thank you, Lord, for making it so easy for us to accept. Thank God for His grace, a better covenant and better promises. And not just that, but we have a mediator. Praise the Lord. I don't know if that means anything to you. It means something to me. We have a mediator. God is... Jesus Christ is interceding for us every single day, all day long. He is praying for you, and His prayers get answered. You know, if you look at the oldest book in the Bible, anybody know what it is? Job. You guys are good. Job is the oldest book of the Bible. And in Job, what happens? Satan takes away everything, right? He loses everything. He loses all of his children. He loses all of his stuff. He loses all of his animals. He loses his health. He's covered with boils and sickness. He lost everything but his wife. And I got to say, the demons probably said to Satan, Satan, why, you took everything. Why would you leave his wife? He goes, watch, I'll show you why. <laughs> he goes, I know what I'm doing. And what did she do? Did she encourage him? No, she said, hey, why don't you just curse God and die? Now, I'm not picking on you women. I just, 
making an observation. And Job, in the midst of all of that, says, I, I, if I only had somebody that could go between me and God, if I only had somebody that could prevent, present my case, if I only had a daysman, someone that could bridge the gap, and that's what we have with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, there's a chasm. There's earth, there's a chasm, and there's a throne of God, and we can't reach the Lord, but the Lord did the unthinkable and reached down to us. And he reaches out his hand to the Father, and he reaches out his hand to us, and he bridges the gap for us. The veil is torn. We can go boldly before the throne of grace, and we can have a conversation with God anytime we want. Gosh, I get excited about that stuff. Jesus Christ is a mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Now, in verse 7, he says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Was there anything wrong with the law? No. The law was perfect. What was wrong was us. None of us could keep it. The law was our schoolmaster to convince us of sin. That we needed a Messiah. That was the purpose. And when the law pointed you to Jesus Christ and you gave your life to Him and became born again, the law was done with you. It did its job. That's good news. And so the new covenant is better. Now, the Hebrew might say, you keep talking about this new covenant, What's this new, where did you come up with that? Where's the new covenant in the Old Testament? And so the writer of Hebrews takes him to Jeremiah 31. The, The writer of Hebrews has such a handle on the Word of God that whenever someone has a question, and this is an encouragement to you, he takes him to Scripture. you got to know the Bible. If you want to, to witness to a Jewish person, you need to do it through the Old Testament. So just like when they were like, well, wait a minute, Jesus, high priest, he's from the tribe of Judah. He's not even from the Levitical line. And so he took them back to Genesis 14, Psalm 110, and said, look, he's of a higher order, a higher priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. And they go, okay, all right, that makes sense. Now they're going to say, well, wait a minute, where's this whole new, where, where's the new covenant in the Old Testament? And it's right there in verse 7. I mean, in verse 8, look at verse 8. Because finding fault with them, this is a quote from Jeremiah 31, he says, Behold, the days are coming, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with the fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and disregarded them, saith the Lord. See, he made a covenant with them, but they immediately started worshiping other gods. Right? And a lot of them were like, you know what, God, you're still number one, but we just got some other gods that were, were, you know, like there's the God of the soil, the God of the wind, the God of the water, the God of wine, the God of this, the God of that, but you're still number one on a list of one to ten, 
And God's like, I don't want to be on a list of one, one to ten. I want to be on a list all by myself. See, when I hear people say uh, Satan's the opposite of, of Jesus Christ, they say, no, you can't even put him in, even in the realm of Jesus Christ. Satan is the opposite of Michael the archangel. And Michael the archangel doesn't measure up to Jesus at all. He's number one on a list all by himself. And the problem was they started grabbing on to all these different gods. And, you know, this whole New Age movement that's going on right now, doing the same thing. Well, you can't have too many gods, right? Uh, yeah, you can. That's what messes you up. There's one God and one mediator, and it's Jesus Christ. He says, for this, verse 10, is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people and none of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother saying, Know the Lord for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. That's a reference of the thousand year millennial kingdom reign when he'll be ruling. You won't have to tell people about Jesus in those days because everybody's going to know him <laughs> amen for i will be check this out merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds and i will remember them no more you know that really bad thing you did and you ask god to forgive you he chooses to remember it no more. Amen. Satan keeps bringing it up. Your spouse keeps bringing it up. Your friend keeps bringing it up. But see, when Jesus forgives you of a sin, he doesn't bring it up anymore. Praise the Lord. He chooses. God can't forget. Do you guys understand that? He's all-knowing. But he chooses not to remember the sin he forgave you for, and he cast it as far as the east is from the west. If you go east, you can keep going east all your life. You'll never come to the end. If you go west, you can keep going west all your life. You'll, you'll never come to the end. If you go north, you can only go north so far. You start going south. That's why Jesus said, I, I cast, cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. Not the north from the south, because that's... Praise God. See, the law came on tablets of stone. And now Jesus puts it on the tablets of your heart. He puts it in your mind. How does He do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. You have Christ in you, the hope and the glory. He's guiding you. He's strengthening you. He speaks to you. You still have free will. You can still fight it. But, you know, the quickest way to, from point A to point B is a straight line, right? And my walk tends to go like this. And then, oh, back up. Oh, I'm, oh, oh. Man, I just want to go... Well done, good and faithful servant. Our last verse for today, he says, in that he says a new covenant, 
He has made the first obsolete. Now this is becoming obsolete. It's vanishing away is what it is. It's, it's growing old. It's ready to vanish. This is a, a verse that proves to us that um, this temple was still standing when this letter was written. So this letter was probably written around 64, 65 A.D. The temple was still standing. But in 70 A.D., Titus Aspasia came in and wiped out, just like Jesus had prophesied. Wiped out the temple completely, and it was completely vanished away. And so here he's warning them right here, a word of knowledge, that um, this, this thing that you're hanging on to, which is inferior, um, it's all going to vanish really soon. And, and you know, it's been almost 2,000 years since they've had a temple. So you say to the Jew, well, what are you doing for your sins? They even celebrate the Day of Atonement still. And they say, you know, they say on the Day of Atonement, you know, we're just trying to have our good stuff outweigh our bad. Ooh. Good luck with that. Why don't you just come to Jesus and stop all that nonsense? I said, listen, you haven't offered a sacrifice in 2,000 years. What are you doing for your sin? Well, well, we're just coming to the Lord by faith. I go, that's a good start. Come by faith, but you need to go all the way to the great high priest after the order of Melchizedek forever. Jesus Christ, the hope and the glory, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. Whoo! Our Lord and our Savior. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your promises, Lord God. I pray that we have a greater understanding of this, this chapter than ever before, Lord God. And we ask that you would just, uh, would you empower us right now? We've got the whole rest of the day. We've got, Lord, give us strength for the rest of this year. Lord, and keep us safe tonight as everything turns into Vietnam here. And, and Lord, I just pray for all those kids that are lighting those sticks of dynamite that they're safe and that nobody gets hurt, Lord God. And Lord, we, we just uh, thank you for getting us through a new year. And then we look forward to another new year. And we ask that you would uh, make a way. This world's crazy. It's nutty, and we're going to need your strength. So, Lord, we pray for the power from above to fulfill your will. If there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus, won't you accept him today? Just pray this in your heart. Lord, I get it. You're God. You're the Creator. You're the way, the truth, and the life. You're the only way. Forgive me of my sins. I believe you died for them and rose on the third day and you're seated at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Save me now. If you just prayed that in your heart, just lift up your hand. Today is the day of your salvation. God bless you. God bless you over there. Praise God. And Lord, do a work in us. 
I pray for everyone here, Lord, that you would just use them in such a way that when we get to heaven, I hear you say to every one of them, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, help us to yield to you, not 80%, not 90 but 100%. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand.